0: Hello to you and welcome to Coin Market Recap. I'm Connor Sefton with your easy to understand look at this week's crypto news. Coming up, Visa, MasterCard and PayPal suspend their operations in Russia, and crypto exchanges take action as the invasion of Ukraine continues. We'll have the latest. Joe Biden has signed an executive order on cryptocurrencies. CoinMarketCap's Molly Jane Zuckerman is here to tell us more. We'll also talk about South Korea's new crypto-friendly president and why a well-respected developer is leaving the decentralized finance space for good. Plus... Remember this? LimeWire.
1: LimeWire. LimeWire. Lime
0: Share all the music in the world.
1: Everybody still downloads their stuff for free. I use LimeWire all the time. How many
0: MP3s do you have on your computer? 600. 6 or 7,000. LimeWire was shut down by a judge in 2010 after it was used by millions of people to download music and movies illegally. 12 years on, it's being relaunched as an NFT marketplace. But why? And will top musicians refuse to work with BlindWire after it caused the music industry to lose billions of dollars? I'll be talking to the company's two new co-founders. Give our show a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And you can find me on Twitter as well. I'm at Connor Sefton. Coin Market Recap Of course, we'll be discussing all things crypto in this podcast. And you can find out more about what's going on in Ukraine by visiting a trusted news outlet. And be sure to make a donation if you can. Bitcoin had remained stuck between $38,000 and $39,000 for most of this week, surging to highs of $42,500 on Wednesday after details of Joe Biden's executive order on cryptocurrencies emerged. More on that in a bit. But the world's biggest cryptocurrency struggled to hold on to these gains and fell back down to $39,000 on Thursday. The US Consumer Price Index hit a fresh 40-year high of 7.9% and the Ukraine crisis means there's little sign that the cost of living crisis will end any time soon. High inflation figures usually result in a bit of a jump for Bitcoin, But we didn't see that this month. It might be because traders are worried about the Federal Reserve's plans to increase interest rates next week, with the European Central Bank announcing on Thursday that it's also going to turn off the money taps far earlier than planned. Well, let's turn our attention back to Ukraine now. Visa and MasterCard announced they were suspending their operations in Russia last weekend, meaning Russian cards wouldn't work abroad and foreign cards wouldn't work in Russia. PayPal has also restricted access to its services. And this has had a knock-on effect on a number of crypto exchanges because local users have found it harder to top up their accounts. Trading platforms have continued to reject calls to block all Russian consumers – But one American exchange called CoinZoom has become the first to stop new users from registering in the country. Kraken has attempted to find a compromise by announcing that it's giving $1,000 in Bitcoin to every Ukrainian user who opened an account by March the 9th, as well as another $1,000 in fee credits. The exchange says its aid package will be worth more than $10 million and all revenues from Russian users in the first half of this year will be donated to support Ukraine. In other news, Coinbase revealed on Monday that it now blocks more than 25,000 crypto addresses related to Russian individuals or entities that the exchange believes to be engaging in illicit activity. The exchange says most of these addresses were identified before the invasion began and the company has stressed that it hasn't seen a surge in sanctions evasion since the conflict started. Meanwhile, Singapore, Switzerland and South Korea have announced that they're freezing crypto assets that belong to Russian users who are based in their countries. Well, the latest data from Merkel Science suggests that more than $92 million has now been donated to Ukraine, although contributions have slowed substantially this week. The former heavyweight boxing champion Vladimir Klitschko, who is from Ukraine and is now fighting on the ground, has teamed up with a popular digital artist for an NFT collection to raise funds for fellow civilians. The non-fungible tokens have been priced at $100, $1,000, and $10,000, and a -a one-of-a-kind collectible is also being offered for $1 million. Proceeds from the NFT sale are going to go to Red Cross Ukraine and UNICEF. This week's Crypto Headlines. Joining me now to look at some of the week's other crypto news is Molly-Jane Zuckerman. Hi, Molly-Jane.
2: Hey, Connor. How are you doing?
0: Very well, thank you. It's sunny in London. It's nice and sunny. No complaints. How about yourself?
2: It's so sunny in New York that I've had to move locations around the apartment every hour because the <laughs> sun just keeps tracking me down and burning through my computer screen. Huge problem.
0: Oh, it's a, a, a massive, a massive problem to have. Are, are New Yorkers as friendly as they usually are?
2: Oh, yeah. There's just tons <laughs> of goodwill here.
0: <laughs> Hot dog vendors in force. Sorry, these are the main things I associate with New York, apparently.
2: (laughs) I have had a hot dog already. Mm, mm. Very good. Mustard, mustard only, no ketchup. I don't know. What are your hot dog toppings?
0: Mustard, no ketchup. Yeah. What are the main things you associate with London, out of curiosity?
2: Rain and fog, definitely. (laughs) Also, whenever, (laughs) whenever I go there, I always eat exclusively Indian or Israeli food. Okay. So I have these restaurants kind of burned, like burned in my memory. Mm. Um, plus, plus fish and chips. You know, the oh, yeah? one time Connor and I met in person, we shared, shared fish and chips. So, we did. We, we got did. our own each. I think.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Indian is like the staple of British cuisine because we, we, we've kind of got an identity crisis here because we just borrow foods from other cultures. We don't really have our own dishes, so.
2: That's fine. It was very, very good. Just mm. av- now I'm starving. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> Ah, well, let's take your mind off food, shall we? And we'll talk about the main thing really that's been driving Bitcoin's price this week, which is this executive order about cryptocurrencies that Joe Biden signed. Now we've been expecting this for some time, and it was kind of confirmed when a statement about it by Treasury secretary. Janet Yellen was accidentally published online early. Do you think she was yelling at her staff? <laughs> oh. But the president says he wants to the US to establish the first ever comprehensive federal digital asset strategy for the United States. And government agencies are going to be tasked with working together to figure out what regulation should look like in the future. Now, for me, Molly Jane, it was particularly significant that the White House said the U.S. must maintain technological leadership in this rapidly growing space, supporting innovation while mitigating risks for consumers, businesses, the broader financial system and the climate. molly Jane, is the U.S. leader in the crypto industry right now?
2: I don't necessarily believe that the U.S. is the leader, but I believe that they are the loudest. Does that make sense to you?
0: Yeah, it does. It does. So, There are six priorities set out in this executive order. Um, They include protecting investors against financial risks posed by digital assets, ensuring crypto isn't a danger to national security, and exploring whether the US should create a digital dollar. What was your take on the executive order? Because I was quite surprised that the tone was so positive.
2: I was surprised that the tone was positive, but I also was surprised by how positively people reacted to it when the order was not anything besides a request to go check this out. If you see what I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't actually changing any legislation. It was just like, let's just see what this whole thing is about. And while it's obviously fantastic that the government has an open mind to start these working groups, I think that maybe the positive sentiment was a little bit premature. Yeah, but I can
0: see why they reacted so positively because I found the tone of all of the messages that were coming from the White House on Wednesday quite conciliatory. They weren't hostile. They weren't grandstanding. They weren't promising to crush Bitcoin. Instead, they were saying, you know, we're going to foster innovation. We want to find out how digital assets can benefit our economy. So that's why I think you saw this upbeat reaction from executives. That's why you saw Bitcoin go up the way it did, because from the offset in instructing all of these agencies to go and examine crypto, it's done so in a kind of a constructive way.
2: Okay. No, I take that. And I do think that in the past, whenever governments have issued proclamations about crypto, it has been, you know, the Wild West, the dangerous, the criminals, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So you're right. Yeah. It is it is definitely a change of pace, a change of tone.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've got Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen there saying, you know, this executive order could result in substantial benefits for the nation, consumers and businesses. But one thing that interests me, and I was speaking to experts about this last year, and they were saying last year, listen, The U.S. is really behind when it comes to launching a central bank digital currency. They need to get on this now. China is streets ahead of the competition on this. And yet, here we are, the government agencies are being instructed to look once again at whether the U.S. should launch a digital currency is this a problem for the U.S.? Are they falling behind? They say that they want to be technological leaders and all of this stuff, but they haven't even got a digital dollar in the works at the moment.
2: Well, you know, I also talked to someone last year, um, Crypto Dad. Remember him, Giancarlo? Mm-hmm.
3: Who oh is yes. Try- yes. Yes.
2: So he not he is not trying to make a CBDC, but he is trying to make mm-hmm. a more general digital dollar. And he was very passionate about that. And he had uh, some big backers. So I don't necessarily think the US is behind, as people are saying, especially because the digital yuan in China was pushed so hard during the Olympics. And reports afterwards Mm. showed that it wasn't actually used that much. So yeah,
0: a lot of that, though, was down to the coronavirus restrictions. You couldn't have spectators there in person. I think that was more the pandemic getting in the way of it being more widely used.
2: Well, I guess we'll have to wait four more years till the next Olympics, <laughs> and see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which won't be in China. <laughs>
2: um, nope.
0: You know, let's let's go through though some of the reaction from crypto executives to this executive order. You had Circle CEO. Jeremy Allaire, he said that's the company that issues the USDC stablecoin. They said it was a watershed moment for crypto, digital assets and Web3. The Crypto Council for Innovation said the executive order is a recognition of the tremendous potential of crypto and its importance to the American people. And this was quite interesting from the Blockchain Association's head of policy, Jake Chavinsky. He said that anyone who was worried that the executive order would spell doom and gloom for crypto can fully relax now it's about as good as we could ask and it was interesting because ahead of the executive order being released there was one quote from the author of Rich Dad Poor Dad that's Robert Kiyosaki and he said that he feared that this would ultimately lead to all cryptocurrencies being seized and folded into a digital dollar (laughs) that would then be issued by the US Federal Reserve it's early days Molly Jane but what do you expect the end result of this executive order to be? What changes do you think it will bring for everyday Americans and for crypto businesses?
2: Well, one of the biggest problems in America about cryptocurrency regulation is that it is incredibly unclear. And so mm. when companies and projects and tokens want to do something and they want to do something within the, um, within the borders of US mm. law, they often don't even know where to start. In order to launch things. You notice, remember, there was a Coinbase Lend program that was ended before it began because it was unclear how the SEC would view it and things like, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hoping, mm-hmm. personally, is what comes from this, at the very least, is a more clear framework for companies to be able mm-hmm. to grow um, I mean, you see that there are these incredibly strict frameworks like the Bit License that basically drove all crypto companies out of New York. So that's kind of a counterexample for the kind of legislation I would hope to see in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. And you make a good point because many of the activities that the crypto industry is pursuing they fall under regulations at the moment that were created decades ago, before the digital revolution even began. And, you know, what we're we're tending to see is that crypto businesses are having to comply with rules that just simply don't match up with what they're trying to do. I mean, of course, the challenge for regulators has been it's very hard to keep up with what the crypto industry is doing. And inevitably, regulation often has to follow the launch of certain goods and services one interesting criticism that i saw from one crypto executive molly jane was that it's all fine and good the white house asking government agencies to look into this but they point out that the securities and exchange commission and the commodity futures trading commission they're both going to have a major role in regulating crypto and they are independent of the white house so Biden wants, obviously, to have some sort of uniformity and some sort of kind of collective understanding of how crypto is going to be regulated. But ultimately, if they're independent of the White House, it isn't his call, it's theirs. Could this executive order turn out to be a bad thing for the industry?
2: It'll be a bad thing if no one can agree. You know, Mm. if everyone's trying to do their own thing. I also think the executive order, because of what's happening in the world, could be sort of forgotten and pushed aside in the coming months. Mm -hmm. So I think that we're just going to, I mean, I say this a lot, it's the kind of thing we're going to have to wait and see how everyone reacts to it, wait and see what else is going on in the world and how much um, priority this will get in the future.
0: And it'll be interesting as well to see if other countries follow suit really and kind of look more aggressively at how they're um, dealing with digital assets. I know here in the UK, there have been a number of politicians that want um, the government to do more in helping legitimize crypto and creating a clear framework, especially after Brexit. They believe that digital assets could be a crucial driver for kind of economic growth in the city of London, despite leaving the European Union. Um, And one last question on this from me, Molly Jane. You know, White House officials, in their press releases after this executive order, did admit that financial innovation hasn't always benefited working families. Do you think that digital assets can boost financial inclusion and help those who don't have bank accounts?
2: Well, the thesis of crypto, and it has changed a lot, but a thesis of Mm. cryptocurrency is to bank the unbanked. And I think we have seen that happening in real time over the past few years as countries with incredibly high inflation and countries with a population has very little access to bank accounts, are using cryptocurrency, mainly with peer-to-peer exchanges, I would say, um, mm-hmm. in place of bank accounts. I mm-hmm. think that, unfortunately, based on how many queries I'm getting from friends and family in the past few weeks, because of the world situation, about how to use crypto when their bank account access is restricted, it seems it's a little... the, the user... That's the word for this. The barrier to entry is still really high. No one is really yes. understanding the best way to use it. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: I, I don't know. I mean, I'm 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 hopeful that this executive order could eventually someday. Lead to more people having uh, better financial security and financial freedom, but right now, as the market stands, like no one really knows what's going on. The unbanked people are having a pretty hard time um, using crypto wallets. So,
0: okay, well. Let's move on to a different story then, because South Korea has a new president and he's quite a crypto-friendly candidate. This is Yoon Suk-yeol, and he narrowly won the contest. He's the conservative opposition candidate. And it is worth noting that his main rival was also attempting to use crypto policies to woo younger voters who have enthusiastically embraced digital assets in the country. And there are quite a few policies that Yoon wants to try and embrace he suggested that initial coin offerings could be about to make a comeback he would roll back some of the regulations that caused many crypto exchanges to close in the country last year and he's also said that he'll raise the capital gains tax threshold for when profits are taxed from crypto. He wants to raise it from the current level of $2,000 US dollars to as much as 40000 US dollars. What do you think of this, Molly Jane?
2: Well, to be perfectly honest, Connor, the whole reason I wanted to talk about him is the fact that he released mm. his own NFT collection. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, we can talk about that. <laughs> is this the first time in the history of presidential campaigns that a candidate has released an nft collection of himself
0: well you know he released like you say he released images and videos of himself a 61 year old guy just like look at some pictures of me and collect them but (laughs) what was really weird about this is he actually isn't the first because the guy he was up against who ended up losing by a margin of less than one percent had actually released his own nft collection before him okay
2: What's going on in South Korea here? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. It's all very weird.
2: Yeah. Well, so I'm not going to pretend in any way to be an, ex- uh, an expert on the uh, intricacies of South Korean politics. <laughs> but I will say that South Korea has been a really important focal point for cryptocurrency in the history Of cryptocurrency, you know South Korea. Mm -hmm. I think because of regulations it has on on trading in general, meant that trading Bitcoin particularly was so popular within the country that um, a few years ago the the kimchi premium happened, where you could buy and sell Bitcoin for thousands of dollars more within Korea than in other countries. Which, as you then know, led to the tiny coin market cap scandal when our former CEO unilaterally decided to remove all Korean exchanges from the rankings, less causing the price of Bitcoin ostensibly to fall drastically, even though it was just evening out, you know, the premium from the market. Um, this just shows me that crypto trends and how South Koreans react to them should be, it's just like a good thermometer of what's going on in this space. Does that make sense?
0: yeah absolutely does make sense and it is worth mentioning as well that you know there are millions of um south koreans who now own cryptocurrencies it's quite a significant market like you say um One question I have, though, is I find it really weird, this fixation that Yoon has with ICOs, because, of course, remember, initial coin offerings were a big thing in 2017 and 2018. Literally, a project could mention the word crypto and seemingly get millions of dollars in return. So there was research in 2018 that analysed 1,500 ICOs and found that close to 80% of them were scams. Is it really a good thing that ICOs would make a comeback in South Korea? Is this kind of behind the curve? I mean, surely now there are far more effective ways of raising money if you are a crypto business.
2: I think it'd be interesting to ask him, you know, just directly. Okay, so you're worried Mm. about ICOs but what do you think about IDOs? And just see if he knows what that is. Mm. (laughs) Because I feel like he does. not For our listeners, an IDO is an initial DEX offering, which is um, a safer way of issuing tokens. There are also IEOs, which is an initial exchange offering, which is yet another, quote-unquote, safer way of issuing tokens besides an ICO.
0: Mm. You touch on an interesting point, though, because I'd argue that many politicians who end up embracing crypto friendly policies aren't going to know how the industry works inside and out. They just need to make sure that they've got clever people around them who can be very clear eyed about the risks and the benefits.
2: I mean, I'm not saying that 61 is incredibly old and ancient and has has no touch with the modern world. But I do think that it is (laughs) he's fixating on the wrong things right now. I don't think that any I don't think mm. anyone's talking about ICOs. No one's mm. talking about ICOs anymore. Okay. Well,
0: we'll have to see. It is worth noting that Yoon did have some controversy on the campaign trail. The campaign was marred by allegations of corruption and sleaze, according to the Financial Times. And during the campaign, Yoon had said that feminists were to blame for the country's low birth rate. So there are beyond crypto there are some other issues social issues affecting his election
2: feminists are to blame for the country's low birth rate because Mm -hmm. i never thought of feminists being anti-babies well just another thing maybe he's a Mm -hmm. little out of touch on who knows who knows what's going on over there in south who knows (laughs)
0: well we'll have to find out won't we so let's move on then to one more story and it's a big deal this one especially if you're interested in defi because one of the decentralized finance industry's best known developers sensationally announced he's leaving the space altogether Andre Cronje had launched a number of popular DeFi protocols, including Yearn Finance. And it seems that he may have been unhappy for a while. He's written blog posts in recent months that said, building in DeFi sucks. Molly Jane, loads of DeFi tokens fell in value after this news emerged. How big of a deal is Andre Cronje?
2: He's a pretty big deal. He's a really big deal. And... Mm. this is also not the first time he's quit. (laughs) He's rage quit several (laughs) times. There have been these tweets or these texts he sent to a crypto journalist saying, I'm leaving and quitting forever. They wrote an article about it. And then he said he was going to sue them for for libel because he wasn't quitting and leaving forever. Like this guy is (laughs) more back and forth about leaving and starting and leaving and starting than anyone in the crypto industry um, I've seen. But... Maybe this time is real. And what is the interesting thing that you brought up is him saying he's leaving again has brought down the price of several coins. Uh, The question Mm -hmm. here is, I'm not saying that the entire DeFi boom is so connected to him that without him, the coins will go down. But I'll just say again, this market is a pretty thin market. And so having a public figure say he's going to leave the public unfortunately, still causes these um, these price dips.
0: There's an account called the DeFi Edge, and it suggests that Cronia likes focusing on building things behind the scenes, but there was a setback on his most recent project because Daniel Sastigali, who was meant to be handling, he was meant to be the public face of this new project, had to take a step back because a scandal had broken out at Wonderland, which was a different DeFi project that he was involved in. And it had emerged that Wonderland's treasury manager was in fact a convicted fraudster who founded the Doomed Crypto Exchange. Quadriga CX, so that meant that Cronia ended up having to handle all of the PR, the marketing, the issues, the moaning users, and clearly he got fed up.
2: Yeah, that Wonderland thing, when Sestergali tried to defend it, saying, "I believe everyone deserves a second chance," and I thought, you know, I believe everyone deserves a second chance too, but a convicted credit card fraudster that co-founded a fraudulent exchange, I don't want to be the treasurer of a financial services product. (laughs) Like, just so... Anyway, unfortunate side note.
0: It is, but also... and uh, We we talked about this before, but again, I just... Why was it his decision? Why didn't he allow other people to have their say and say, listen, this is him. We think he could be really good for our project, but this is his background. It was the fact that no one was told.
2: It was a giant secret. Big secret. And guess Mm. what? It ruined everything (laughs) for a lot of people. So... (laughs)
0: it did. (laughs) So back to back to Cronia then. Now, my question is, if a guy can announce he's leaving and cause so many tokens to fall in value, does this suggest that the decentralized finance industry isn't as decentralized as it would like to say? Because it seems like its success hinges on one person.
2: I think that so many things are not as decentralized as they say they are. And I Mm. definitely think that the decentralized financial space is not that decentralized. Uh, You know, you think about, people talk about DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, but when it comes down to it, the amount of participation and the amount of people that hold DAO tokens that actually vote in the processes is relatively low. So to me, this is just another example of how defi is not actually that d maybe yet they're not that not d
1: yet
0: yeah i mean it is worth noting that yearn finance is going to continue there are developers who will step in and carry on building and they're being invited to do so because the technology is open source But again, this account, the DeFi Edge, said that Cronia had made enough money to set himself up for several lifetimes financially. And he said that guys like Andre are cut from a different cloth. He's not the kind of guy that can chill out on a beach forever. Building is his drug and he'll come back to get his fix sooner or later. So maybe we haven't heard the last of him.
2: Yeah, I mean, I am drawing parallels to Vitalik right now. Because Vitalik, to me, mm. also seemed like a guy that preferred to be in the background, but through mm. the circumstances has been pushed to the foreground and has done sort of a balancing act of how public he's being versus how private he's being to actually build the technology. So, I don't know, maybe Andre could come up with a sort of Vitalik-like balance in the future. Or maybe we'll never see him again.
0: Oh, gosh, that just reminds me of that video uh, that was taken at Eve Denver where... Someone had created a, a a song about Vitalik and played it on his guitar <laughs> in front of him. In fact, let's play a <sighs> clip of that now.
3: Great.
1: When he was and that's not even the coolest thing that
3: That's it. That's the whole song. <laughs>
0: I mean, he looks so uncomfortable he, and he actually was, just looked really awkward. And I think he walked off the stage afterwards as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's, um, there's a very funny video that when I worked at Cointelegraph and we saw Vitalik speak at a conference where he was so technical um, in his lecture and everyone in the audience was just asleep and we called it Vitalik's <gasps> lullaby. And it's like a minute long YouTube video. <laughs> of people just sleeping (laughs) while you spoke.
1: That can only be possibly adjusted via hard work a couple of times a year at best, knows even less. The really optimal policy is very rarely just on either a price or a quantity limit, but depending on, like, basically, the way that the social...
0: To be fair, <laughs> that could happen to anyone. That's not just Vitalik. Like, I can, my eyes can glaze over when anyone's giving a pitch about really complicated computing matters. You know, it isn't just Vitalik.
2: No, of course not. It's just, um... <laughs> yeah. Well, Molly Jane, a pleasure
0: as always to talk to you, and we will speak to you soon. Thanks for coming on.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Coin market recap. Now, if you're in your late 20s or early 30s, here's a word that'll give you a blast from the past. LimeWire. The peer-to-peer software was all the rage in the 2000s and allowed users to download illegal copies of songs, TV shows and movies for free. But 12 years after the site came to a sticky end, LimeWire is making a comeback as an NFT marketplace and the Reborn project has been taking advantage of its controversial past in a high-octane promotional video
3: came across a screenshot for LimeWire, instantly just gave me all these flashbacks.
2: Millions of people are now using LimeWire. For music, movies, games, 20 million people are using peer-to-peer networks.
0: There's a revolution in how people access music. This library of music in front of me. But There are all kinds of people who are downloading. I upload crankbait to LimeWire.
1: LimeWire. LimeWire. LimeWire.
0: Share all the music in the
1: world. Everybody still downloads their stuff for free.
2: I use LimeWire all the time. How many
0: MP3s do you have on your computer?
2: 600. 6 or 7,000. Going to jail for downloading music off of LimeWire. Is somebody going to come into my apartment seriously of arrest me? I remember downloading music from LimeWire. We all did it. I think I've explored a lot of music this way. I wouldn't have gotten a chance to otherwise explore. LimeWire needs to shut down. Oh my God, the end of LimeWire. This is the death of the music sharing site known as LimeWire has been shut down.
0: Well, I'm joined now by Paul and Julian Zettmeyer, who are the founders and co-CEOs Of LimeWire. Thank you for joining us, gents.
1: Hey, Connor. Thanks
3: for having us. Hi, Connor. Thanks a lot.
0: So, to me, it feels a bit random. LimeWire's name is being used for an NFT marketplace. It's almost as if Vine came back from the dead and started making documentaries. (laughs) Why have you decided to use LimeWire's brand for this?
3: Uh, So, we think LimeWire is always an an amazing mainstream brand, right? We have used it in the past. It's an extremely popular brand. Uh, There's so much nostalgia around this brand. And we were we were early users of the platform as well, so so we're we we were big fans of the old LimeWire, and and really we think there couldn't be a better name to take something like NFTs, which is really abstract, right? And it's not really mainstream yet. Many people haven't really been acquainted with that with that concept. Um, to take NFTs really mainstream, so, so that's our that's our thinking. It's got such a such an amazing brand equity and such a great following, really almost a cultural following um, around the world. Uh, so our intention is to to use that um, and to our advantage, obviously. And, and try to take the concept uh, really to a wider audience.
0: And LimeWire was famous, wasn't it, for letting people download songs and movies illegally. Will this just make people think that it's a place that they can download NFTs illegally?
1: To be honest, um, I think that's uh, not really. So all the artists, all the people we talked to, I think they're obviously very aware of the past of LimeWire, just like we are. But I think it's important to note that we're like a completely fresh team, right? Uh, we're launching with a really cool product. Uh, we'll put a lot of focus on curation and quality on the platform as well, which obviously isn't a given on other platforms at the moment as well. So really focusing on that um, also uh, during our obviously pre-marketing efforts at the moment, um, and and we believe obviously that won't be an issue too much. um, uh, 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 It hasn't been really with all the conversations we've had so far, even with bigger artists, I think they're all really excited about coming onto the platform. They understand the concept of us wanting to take the the, the NFT uh, concept mainstream, um, and we're also very clear that we will want quality on the platform, and will be also be very curated initially, at least uh, when we launch. Mm-hmm. And it's probably really important to know that we're we're going to be this this time around. Obviously, LimeWire with
3: its uh, interesting past. Obviously, users <laughs> loved it from day one, but it was a let's say a controversial relationship back then with the labels and the music industry as a whole. Uh, but we want to make it absolutely clear that this time we're working with artists, that we're actually creating a platform for them and not against them, right? So, so we're. Uh, the new Linewire will be a platform for artists and for fans to connect, uh, to create quality content uh, for community and really for the industry. So, and that's also what we've, well, we've been communicating getting a lot with with labels and artists. And, and it's been long enough for people to get over it and to just be nostalgic about it. And, and obviously, artists are extremely excited about the brand uh, really representing them.
0: I, I see your point. I do just want to challenge you on this, though, because back in 2010, and this was long before you both bought Linewire's intellectual property, the site was forced to shut down by an American judge who said the site caused irreparable harm to the music industry and billions of dollars in losses. Now, you've alluded to some of these conversations that you've been having with artists, but are you not worried that some musicians who have long memories won't want to work with Limeire because of the damage that it did to the music industry back then?
1: To be honest, I think there will always be some scepticism. I think by just building a good product and really having obviously a great team and a great platform, also being a very trustworthy provider, I think we can definitely get around that. And, and to be completely frank, we haven't really seen too many too, too much uh, skepticism, even from the music music industry. And we've been talking to artists and labels for pretty much the better part of the last three months. Mm. Um, and the, the overall feedback we're getting is extremely positive. Most artists, actually, that are popular right now, they've kind of used the platform themselves in their teenage years. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they kind of have a... Have a have a, a nice relationship with the with the brand in general as well um we are obviously fully aware of the past as are the artists i think that's something obviously there's always some explaining to do initially um showing the platform yeah. showing that we're obviously focusing on quality and making things right this time around um mm-hmm. that will be, obviously be important that launch as well and after that really to uh to, to 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 focus on quality to make sure we're a trustworthy provider And just doing things right this Mm -hmm. time and also for the artist community, not against it, as Paul mentioned. Mm
0: Can I just say at this point, I only use LimeWire to download copyright-free music, so no one needs to knock on my (laughs) door and accuse me of one Same here, actually. (laughs) So um, you made a really interesting point a little bit earlier, guys, about curation, and I completely agree Mm -hmm. with you. It will be really interesting to see an NFT marketplace that's kind of choosy about the collections that they have on their platform. Now, your website says LimeWire's initially going to focus on music-related digital collectibles. Mm-hmm. What type of things should we expect? Are there any big name partnerships that you can tell us about at this point? Uh,
1: there are sure. a few bit that we can't really say uh, any artist names at this point. Um, but what we can say is we closed about 10 really big mainstream artists already mm. that will have some sort of collection on the platform uh, with, the main, with launch in May. Really, In terms of content, uh, I think half of the artists we work with, they will actually produce music exclusively for LimeWire, which is quite mm. cool. So they're actually uh, doing music that will live as kind of as an NFT on the platform. Uh, half of them, who's obviously artists and labels, obviously, they, uh, they they cannot always do music. So obviously, they have, they have to jump through to some hoops if they're signed to a major label, for example, uh, to be able to actually uh, publish music potentially on, on a platform like LimeWire. Uh, so half of them will actually do art in combination with exclusive backstage content, for example, or... Uh, unseen footage, interviews, pretty much anything that the fans of those particular artists would appreciate, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, especially excited about the, about the music stuff, obviously. So we'll have a uh, great exclusive music on the platform in, uh, obviously in a limited uh, amount uh in, in limited amount collections obviously so yeah very excited about and, and it's really
3: about about ex- exclusivity right because obviously we we've got we've received that question quite a lot regarding content online where we don't uh, obviously we don't want and, and don't expect uh, people to to just take their albums that they have on streaming platforms like spotify anyway right and just try to mint them as nfts um, it's really all about unreleased content it's about exclusively produced content um, about content that, that fans can get excited about, that the typical super fan would be really appreciating and actually would be willing to, to, to also pay money for. right? So that's the idea um, in mm-hmm. terms of content to really produce something special. Um, and that's limited as well. Um, obviously, curation will be, will be a heavy factor here at LimeWare, but it's really two pillars. So, so we want to be a really curated marketplace because we think the marketplace is out there right now in the NFT world. They're really swamped with all kinds of different stuff. So when you start browsing some of the big platforms, you you, you just get shocked by all of those obviously moving animals that we don't necessarily necessarily see the value in each of those NFTs, right? So mm-hmm. we want to be really uh, really smart about featuring. We want to, uh, pe- to give people a format that they can that they can get used to that they may be used to from platforms like 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 Apple Music and just really uh, a really nice overall feeling. Um, and that paired with with proper curation where fe- artists are featured. Um we obviously listen to the community a lot, um, but at the same time, we want to open the gates uh, for for all sizes of artists, right We don't want to exclude small artists because they're they're, they're just up- upcoming, right So we want to uh, open the doors for small and medium artists obviously work closely with big ones, as Julian mentioned, um, but we want to be a platform for everybody and and that yeah. obviously combined with proper curation and moderation, I think that could be a really nice concept mm-hmm.
0: and Julian, you've said that nfts online wire will be priced in dollars you specifically told cnbc that an issue with the nft market is that most platforms are decentralized aren't decentralization and crypto payments two crucial principles for nft platforms so
1: first of all we're huge fans of decentralization in general but we also at the same time believe that it hasn't really arrived in the mainstream just because of the usability factor right you need a wallet Mm. which most uh, obviously fans of the artists we work with don't have. You need uh, to be deep in the crypto space to understand all these platforms because they are quite technical. Um, And you need to own cryptocurrency and know what each cryptocurrency is worth in many cases as well on marketplaces that have like different uh, types of pricing in terms of which currency they're using. So we're just trying... um, I think we will definitely go more decentralized as the mainstream just gets more ready for it. But right mm-hmm. now we try to really take the both best of both worlds, really, right? So we're obviously minting all the all the NFTs on the blockchain. Um will be a very secure uh, uh, custodial platform, just like an exchange would be for Bitcoin, right? If you buy on Coinbase, it's really easy because they're abstracting a lot of the crypto stuff, a lot of the heavy crypto lifting. In the back end and just making it easy in the front end for the user so that's why we introduce things like, like some centralized elements in a sense um mm-hmm. obviously like fiat payments uh like custodying the nfts if the user wants to offer them they can obviously also transfer them out to their own wallet at any point um and just trying to th- make things easier for everyone everybody really mm-hmm. um that's not to say that as the market and the mainstream gets more adapted to the new technologies and that as those technologies get more easy to use as well um, Will go more decentralized. So um, mm-hmm. definitely a huge, uh, a huge fan of decentralization. But we believe, obviously, to make the mainstream uh, able to use it, you just need to make make it easy at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And obviously, in, in talking to
3: artists, we've we've had that quite that feedback quite a lot um, about the reach, right? So so the typical fan of a typical musician just doesn't have a crypto, crypto wallet at this point, and we want our, our artists to be able to actually offer their NFTs to to not only a subset of five percent of their fans, but actually to everybody that, that's mm-hmm. following them, and that's why we want to create a really easy on ramp, so to speak, for people that are even outside the pla- outside the entire space uh, at this point, um, and make it easy for them to get in. But
1: mm-hmm. kind of like an exchange uh, for NFTs, right? That's what we always say. Like kind yeah. of making it, it as easy as Coinbase or Binance make it for for users to buy Bitcoin. We make it. We want to make it just as easy to participate in the NFT market. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, is, is that kind of an easy way out, though? Because I understand what you mean. Yes, crypto can be a really steep technical learning curve for many people out there. But by offering the ability to pay in dollars and use a debit or a credit card, does that not remove any impetus for people to try using a crypto wallet, to try um, paying with cryptocurrencies. I remember last year, Kings of Leon did an NFT drop and they experienced overwhelming demand and people were incentivized to give crypto wallets a try. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, Shouldn't it be your focus to kind of make using cryptocurrencies easier rather than just kind of sidestepping that problem and focusing on fiat?
3: I think we're kind of doing both, mm-hmm. um, because so um, you might have read that we, we're partnering really closely with a company called Wire. They're, they're mm-hmm. a really big on and off ramp for 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 crypto and for fiat. So we're actually offering both payment, both both payment in in fiat. So for people that that just are not acquainted with the system yet, they can offer they they can just go ahead and buy NFTs using their credit cards. But they can also use crypto, right? So mm-hmm. if they have a crypto wallet um, that they can use to buy stuff, and they have Ethereum at hand or Bitcoin at hand they they might as well go ahead and use that so so we're not excluding those people at all so we want mm-hmm. to be a really exciting platform for crypto natives but also for newcomers um but by offering fiat as well we just open the space up to much more much many people much much more um uh, a much larger group of people really um so so that's not to say that really people can can start out with a credit card but then um, obviously, kind of transition into crypto uh, at a later
1: stage. And obviously, we're also supporting uh, transfer out of the assets to to their own to, to the user wallet as well. Right? Obviously, so we, obviously, you can't right. you can't only hold the NFT custodial with us, but you can transfer it out at any time. Mm-hmm. So I think for people that want to obviously go the more decentralized route, they can always transfer their assets to their own wallet as well. Um, I think a good comparison is obviously there's uh, Uniswap, so you can buy obviously. Uh, tokens on decentralized platforms but you can always also buy on an exchange right mm-hmm. so we were we were pretty much trying to do the same for the nft markets uh mm-hmm. that the exchanges are doing for for crypto uh mm-hmm. uh, uh, uh currency yeah.
0: yeah so of course you've got this exclusive content and you're going to allow fiat payments as well you know coinbase also planning to allow people to use credit and debit cards for buying NFTs and there are other marketplaces as well that you know are trying to break down the barriers to entry for newcomers so what else makes LimeWire different in your view?
3: So we also want to be accessible not, not only from a UX and UI perspective so we mentioned obviously that we, that we have the, those eight years of experience in the B2B space and we've built a lot of great UI user experience in UI so we want to really double down on that mm-hmm. give, give people a really nice format to use um, but we also want to be really accessible when it comes to price. So, so we think uh, the the average prices on big platforms right now is still way too high. So, so mm-hmm. it just goes to show a little more um, that it might be a really small group of people really intensely trading in the space that are using it with mm-hmm. probably heavy bags in crypto. Exactly. Um, so we also are pushing, besides, we're pushing uh artists really for for two things we're pushing for quality so that's the one thing but we also push for accessibility so mm-hmm. with most of these deals we have a, at the moment we're probably doing a, a one of one that typical one of gold that might be a really costly thing and might might go off as an auction um, but we're also pushing for a, a, a more attainable collection like a one of 10,000 for example that would be priced maybe sub sub 100 dollars even um, and really accessible to, 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 to a larger group of people. Uh, mm-hmm. Plus what we're doing, and that's really special across the market, and we haven't seen anybody really approach that, um, is we're doubling down on the, on the community aspect of NFTs. So whenever an artist actually publishes a, a collection or a drop, um, they have an, have an option to actually open up a community, especially for the, for the people that buy that specific collection. So if it's a 10, 000, uh, one of 10,000 NFT collection, the 10,000 buyers of those will be exclusively added to that community that will actually live inside LimeWire, so it's not going to be on Telegram or Discord, so not not too fragmented, but really inside LimeWire. And artists can actually engage with those specific people. So that that actually gives artists a way, or musicians, for example, a way to really engage with the people that are, let's say, their most loyal fans, their most super fans, and really give them specific content, give them announcements ahead of time, give them maybe even reduced concert tickets mm-hmm. or engage them with, with them in creative ways uh, they can come up with. So, so that's also one thing we're, we're really pushing for.
0: Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you that NFTs uh, widely are too expensive. So that's something I'm very much on board with. I've ranted about that on the podcast before. Cool. Now, you touched <laughs> upon your experience just there. So can you tell us more about what your background is have either of you worked in the crypto or the NFT space before?
1: Uh, to be honest, it's our first venture in the NFT space. So we're uh, ten years uh, or, or even more for me in the, in the tech space in general. So we have built a, a in London actually a mobile advertising company called Mobfox, um, which was one of the one of the first companies that did like the small mobile ads inside applications uh, uh, in 2014. Um, then Paul and I got together after that and we found that API layer, which is was a, a collection of, uh, API, uh, services, um, mm-hmm. kind of, kind of trying to make developers lives easier with those products. Um, this is also a company that we sold uh, last year. We're also running a, a company called zero SSL, which is one of the largest issuers of SSL certificates. So that mm-hmm. goes more, obviously in the, in the crowd crypto route a little bit in terms of, uh, tech, uh, stack. Um, that's something we're still running actually at this point. And we're also running Eversign, which is an e-signature platform uh, um, for signing documents online. So mm-hmm. uh, our first like pure crypto company, but I think that's a big advantage actually, because I think uh, many of the, the NF- especially NFT platforms on the market, they don't really nail the user experience part yes. yet. And we come obviously from a from a web tool more of a Web two background, yeah. Where well, user experience is extremely important. But mm-hmm. We're also big fans of crypto at the same time, and really uh, uh, investors in crypto, and, and and very interested in the space for a long time. So I think by obviously combining our experience in Web two and our heavy interest in Web three, we have like a unique opportunity to to build something uh, really great in terms of usability. uh uh, and just overall concept yeah Yeah, and really bridge the gap right between
3: Mm. between people that are that are in web two and are interested in web three
0: yeah i can see the appeal of that because you don't know how to do something badly yet (laughs) you haven't got into the bad habits habits of crypto and web three entrepreneurs okay so you're also establishing a new LimeWire token can you tell us more about how that will work and what that will be
3: used for Sure. So, so the Lamboy token, uh, the ticket will be LMWR. It's going to be released in a public sale actually uh, later this year in Q4, most likely. It's going to be a utility token where you can do lots of, lots of things. Uh, First of all, uh, when you hold the token on the platform, you'll be able to reduce your commission. So obviously when you buy NFTs on the platform, the platform retains uh, a small commission, but you can actually uh, reduce that quite a bit by holding the token on the platform. Um, You'll be able to get rewards, probably even on on a weekly basis by by holding a specific level of tokens. So so we'll have Things, uh, we'll have a level system called VIP levels. The more you hold, pretty much, the, the more rewards you get on a weekly basis. So that's really to incentivize people to hold the token on the platform. Um, and you'll be able to to uh, engage in a lot of DAO type of activities. So, for example, we we are, as LimeMar, we really want to support small and upcoming artists. Uh, So we're establishing a a specific fund called the LimeWire Foundation that's specifically targeted at supporting small artists that are upcoming using token grants. And that's something token holders will be able to vote vote on, for example, in a DAO DAO type of approach. And the same thing goes for platform features. We want people to to kind of vote on um, things that we build in terms of features and and, and, and curation on the platform. Um, So that's what we're doubling down on. And obviously, the community aspect is big as well. So we're trying to build a really nice ecosystem around the token um, allow people to kind of engage with us, uh, engage with the team, and make the product better overall. Um, and down the line, we, we are also considering actually implementing the, 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 um, the Limeware token as a payment method on the platform. So either mm-hmm. just for commissions, so you'll be able to pay your commissions using the Limeware token, or even uh, go as far as, as transacting um, with the Limeware token entirely on the platform. Mm-hmm.
0: And you mentioned fees there. How will your fees compare with the likes of OpenSea and Rarible? Will they be
1: higher or lower? Um, pretty similar, I think. So right now, uh, the initial concept is ninety percent goes to the artist, and Lan Wire takes a ten percent cut um, mm-hmm. on the primary sale. On secondaries, when user to user resales happen on the platform, uh, we will take a much lower commissions, likely in the in the one to two point five percent range. And mm-hmm. the artist can actually set the royalty similar to other platforms as well. Mm-hmm. So the artist can sell a royalty for all aftermarket sales, pretty much. So every time the item is resold again. Uh, the original creator gets a royalty on that sale price. yeah, uh-huh. And that's really uh, every time. So
3: so we're not only giving artists a royalty on the first mar- sale on the secondary market, but really on every secondary sale that, that is to come in the mm-hmm. future. Mm-hmm.
0: And so your roadmap says that the marketplace is going to officially launch in May and you're planning to branch out into the film industry by the end of this yeah. year. Can you tell us more about what your future plans look
1: like? Sure. So in terms of general launch plans, we're launching most likely at the, at the end of May. Uh, we'll announce the first big artists coming to the platform and probably do like week, really weekly drops of exciting artists like every week after that. So we're also talking to a lot of like mainstream artists for collections post our launch as well. So so we'll definitely have a regular uh, stream of, 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 of great artists coming onto the platform. Um, the next step for us will be to go into the film industry where we think there could be a lot of potential for studios, we're talking to some like smaller studios, we're talking to uh, short filmmakers that could make their films available as an NFT first, for example, before actually doing it somewhere else or making it available somewhere else. Uh, it's also very interesting for unreleased scenes of big movie franchises, for merchandise as well. You can think like Star Wars, lightsabers, and CGI, for example, uh, uh, as an NFT. Um, so definitely going to, to the film industry afterwards. And then at some point, I think we'll definitely... I think about opening the gates for all kinds of art on the platform as well. So I just Mm -hmm. try to be the most mainstream and easy to use platform uh, for NFTs.
0: Well, I'll tell you this, as a moody teenager locked in my bedroom downloading MP3s, (laughs) I never thought I'd end up interviewing the co-CEOs of LimeWire. (laughs) Uh, Paul and Julian, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and giving us uh, a little bit of information about what LimeWire is going to be doing. Thank you very much.
3: Thanks very Thanks much lot, for having Connor. us. Connor. Thank you. Nice meeting
0: you. And that's it for this week's Coin Market Recap. Just a reminder that our show does not offer financial advice. Do hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday, and give us a review if you like what you hear. You can find the latest news, features, and analysis throughout the week at CoinMarketCap.com/alexandria, and make sure you sign up to our daily newsletter as well. I'm Connor Sefton. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye bye for now.